very young children can honor God Almighty if, everybody say if, if they are taught. the pastor here at New Life Community Church, and I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments around the Word of God. I'm going to delve into a subject uh, this evening that uh, I certainly am not an expert at. I'm going to be talking about motherhood. (laughs) Typically, whatever I share with you, uh, whether it's at New Life Live on Sunday morning or later here on New Life Telecast, I try to share with you out of my experience, not just telling you the way things ought to be. But I certainly don't have a lot of experience with motherhood other than I had a mother. She's with the Lord now. And I've lived with a mom for 42 years. Well, 30-some years now uh, with our oldest son. And I've observed uh, the ins and outs of the everydayness of motherhood. So we're going to be sharing with you a teaching Uh, that deals with the issue of motherhood, and we're looking at the many seasons of motherhood. And I trust this will be an encouragement to you. As I look at the moms at New Life, I am so impressed uh, with those gals. They do a phenomenal job with the most difficult job in the world. So we want to uh, build them up, encourage them, and give them some tools to work with. The classic passage for this particular teaching is found in 1 Samuel, and I'm going to read you just a little bit of that, and we're going to jump right on into it right now. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, might as well go there around verse number 10, and the record puts it this way, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Look at verse 11. And she made a vow, she made a promise saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. We're going to find out what that's all about. Let me pray for you moms and all of you that might be listening right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come before every member of this television audience, whether it's a mom or someone that's uh, planning to be a mom at some point in time or those of us that support moms and motherhood. I pray your richest blessings. Speak to us by your word. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Moms, you be encouraged. I'll be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless. First Samuel 1 introduces us to one of the most famous of all the Old Testament mothers, Hannah. Number one on your study notes, Phil, listen to me with me right off the get-go. Ironically, the Hebrew for Hannah means favor or grace, favor, or grace. Now watch this, as you've already heard. In the beginning, Hannah's life didn't reflect 
much of her name. It seems like she was pretty miserable. She was married to Elkanah, who loved her very much. But Elkanah was also married to what is referred to in Scripture as Hannah's rival, his other wife, Peninnah. And as the story goes, Peninnah had more children to Elkanah, but Hannah remained barren. It was part of the Lord's plan for her up to this point. Peninnah actually taunted and demeaned Hannah. Look at that again, verse 6 of chapter 1. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. What a little Miss Jerk. Can I get an amen right there? What in the world? In time, however, Hannah finally became pregnant and watch this, gave birth to none other than that famed Old Testament character, Samuel. And it would do you well to read that story and read about Samuel and to, to read about his life. Hannah prayerfully pleaded with God for this child and it could be argued that God responded to her prayerful pleading. Fortunately for us, and I believe that this is fortunate, a portion of Hannah's prayer is preserved in the Word. In fact, there are a lot of prayers preserved in the Word of God. In case you're wondering how to pray, we can learn from this. Look at verse 10. I haven't read that yet, but look at this in chapter 1. In bitterness of soul, you understand? Bitterness of soul. Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She was having a hard time. And she made a vow, she made a promise, a covenant in some respects, saying, Oh, Lord Almighty, if, and here's the covenant language, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then, if, then, covenant language, if you do that, Lord, then I will give him to the Lord. Look at this. For all the days of his life, not for 15 minutes, not for one day, not for just a couple of weeks, but for all his life. And then she added in the prayer something very significant, and no razor will ever be used on his head, which leaves us scratching our head. Now, there's not one but two vows, two promises that are entered into here. Hannah puts forth Almighty God, realizing and recognizing where life comes from. Almighty God, if you bless me and you open my womb and see fit to give me a son, then I'm going to give that son back to you all the days of his life or give that child back to you. Headed to number two on your study notes. Listen to this. This second promise is what we've come to know as the vow of the Nazarite, where she talked about the razor not touching his head. Let me talk to you about that just a moment. The, the Nazarite vow, or the vow of the Nazarite, includes three things. Number one, the refusal of partaking of intoxicating drink. More about that in just a sec. Secondly, the refusal to cut one's hair. That's where the razor comes into play. And uh, again, more about that here in just a second. And thirdly, the refusal to come in contact with a corpse, a dead body. 
Let me give it to you. Someone else has said it this way. And, and to me, this all sounds a little bit strange, maybe a little bit stringent. But uh, think about this. Quote, the refusal of intoxicants typified that one had determined to avoid all sensual indulgence, which might cloud the mind and render the person unfit for prayer and the work of the Lord. How many of you know it's difficult to preach when you're a little jacked up? Secondly, the refusal to come in contact with a dead body was an outward protest that the vower had renounced all moral defilement. In other words, would be very careful to avoid that which could stain and soil the life consecrated to God's service. And you can imagine in that day and age the way things were then, not like our embalming process now and the way uh, uh, deceased bodies are dealt with now, but then uh, there's a lot of contamination involved in that and it could be a big problem. Thirdly, the refusal to quaffer or to cut the hair, the crop of hair, was a public declaration that one had determined to, watch this, refrain from interaction with the world and the world's system in order to devote the whole of strength and fullness to the life of God's work. The Nazarite vow. Now you know, number three on your study notes. I want you to get this. This vow, these promises, they were entered into on behalf of, everybody say behalf, on behalf of young Samuel by none other than his mother, his mama. She was gravely serious about her prayer for a child, a child that could be given back to God so that the child could grow up and invest the remainder of his life in service given to God. And now the one who was named graciously favored, this blessed mama, not only prayed the prayer, watch this church, she not only prayed the prayer, but she was faithful to follow through. How many of you know it's easy to pray a prayer? Say, oh Lord, if you will, then I will. And God moves and we forget all about our end of the bargain. But she didn't just pray the prayer, beloved. She followed through. Think about this. Look in verse 24, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We read there, after he was weaned. Now, let me throw this in parenthetically. Most of the Hebrew women would suckle their children for two to three years. Within that word, the Hebrew word weaning, there is some indication that that process would go up through age eight or nine. That was more than just feeding that child. There was a lot more involved in it. But I imagine that uh, this child was a little more mature than 24 months when some of this begins to take place. Let me show you why. The latter part of verse 24, she took the boy with her, young as he was. Continuing on in verse 24, to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And then we find in verse 27, she is speaking to Eli, the priest. And she says, I prayed for this child. Go back and read the story. It's an interesting story. Eli accused her of being drunk 
a few years earlier. She says, hey, here's that child I was praying for. And the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. Exhibit A. So now I give him to the Lord for his, look at this church, whole life. Moms, can you say whole life? That was pretty weak. Moms, can you say whole life? That was better. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And then the latter part of the verse says, and he, and grammatically we determine that he was none other than Samuel. Samuel worshiped the Lord there. Now, Mr. Poole in his very fine commentary says this, and I quote, He entered himself into the worship. He, Samuel, entered himself into the worship and service of God in that place to which he was devoted by his parents and now did devote himself. You following that? Started, just like with Timothy that we read about at the outset of the service, started with grandma and mama and continued on for another generation. We see something very similar here in Hannah and Samuel. Started with mom. Mom made the covenant commitment to God and then Samuel picked up on that and he did devote himself. After this, the faithful mother of Samuel uh, prayed and there's another part of this prayer that we realize. You see this in Chapter 2 and verse number 2, we read, There is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Oh, my goodness, what an example of a life solidly, solidly purposed to worship and honor God. Fill in number 4 with me right quick, like if you would, please. Beloved, I am convinced and I am convicted that very young children can worship the Lord. Very young children can recognize God Almighty. Very young children can honor God Almighty if, everybody say if, if they are taught to do so. Now, here's challenge number one to the moms today. I plead with you, whoever you are, whether you're a younger mom or an older mom or one in between, I plead with you to determine and purpose and plan. All of you mamas say plan. Plan to teach, plan to train your little ones from the jump start, from the very beginning to worship and honor God. Now watch this, moms. That means that you're going to have to help that little one come to an understanding about their sinfulness. Sinfulness. Pastor, are you crazy, those innocent little children? Innocent little children? Have you ever worked in the nursery? Hey, we come into this world with a problem, beloved, and we need to help our little ones understand that. It means helping them come to an understanding with regards to the cross. Our speaker last week spoke eloquently about the cross on multiple occasions, but we have to help these children understand the cross and Jesus Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. It means a basic understanding of the church and its necessity for their growth and their maturity in the things of God. And I also want to emphasize this to you this morning, whoever you are. Samuel was dedicated 
to the service of the God, not the gods of this world. Make sense to you? It's dedicated to the God. Hannah was very focused, very determined about who she was going to dedicate this child to. Now, by the way, and this is number five on your study notes. Following through with, there's a big long word in here. I'm trying to get you to think a little bit. Following through with a prepubescent discipleship, a discipleship track for those who are approaching or not yet into puberty. It's not an easy task. It's not a simple task. Can I get an amen, moms? Watch this. It's a very difficult task. It's very demanding task. It's a very tedious task. It is. But, and I trust that all of you moms here, moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, whatever the case might be, I trust that you would be challenged to know that such a lifestyle is a sowing that will produce a promised harvest that is mind-blowing. Here's a second challenge. And the reason behind the title of today's message, motherhood, the seasons, the seasons of motherhood. Moms, you do not have to physically leave your children with the priest in Shiloh in order to present them to the Lord all the days of their life in this present age. Aren't you happy about that? Man, alive, I was already thinking about packing some bags and taking off. No, you don't have to do that. But you do, however, have to make a purposed decision. In other words, what I'm trying to say, moms, is what I'm telling you today is not going to just happen by default. You have to make a purposed decision. You have to develop a Plan. There's that word again. And you have to discipline yourself to stick with it. Discipline is something that's not very popular nowadays. But in this particular context, it is essential. Having said that, be it known, moms, because you are a flawed soul. Maybe you're thinking, who are you talking about, Willis? I'm talking about all of us. We are a flawed soul. And because that is true uh, with regards to you being a, a woman, with regards to you being a wife, with regards to you being a mother, with regards to you being a church worker, whatever the case might be, there will be failures. There will be times when you will err in judgment and it will prompt you to do some things that you'll look back on thinking, man, alive, I wish I hadn't have done that. Perhaps you've heard the story of the one mom, and this is so reflective of what I hear so often. This mom was asked, or she asked the question, did you ever help your children with their homework? Any of you moms guilty of that, helping your children with their homework? And as this story goes, one mom did. The problem she helped with turned out to be the one problem the child got wrong. You will not always be the 13th apostle with your efforts. Are you with me? But fill in number six with me on your notes. Please, 
moms, dads, whoever might be listening to me this morning, do not let a failure, a singular failure define you. We're not defined by a single failure, but rather let that refine you. Don't let it define you, let it refine you. What I mean by that, let it teach you. It's a teaching moment. Let it develop you. Let it grow you. One of my literary mentors is John Hagee. Perhaps you've heard him on television. I heard him a little bit in the wee hours of the morning today, and I had not planned this, but this come from him, and I like this. He suggested that adversity is God's university. Adversity is God's university. Moms, dads, whoever, mistakes are valuable. Pastor Terry, how could that be? Mistakes are valuable because they serve as a warning. Hey, don't do it that way again. Don't do it that way again. Well, Pastor Terry, you, you're talking about a plan. Where did I get this here plan? Is it available at the Baptist bookstore? Perhaps. Let me simplify this to you this morning for time's sake. Now listen carefully. I'm going to say this and I'm going to come back in a few moments and say it back to you in a, a different sort of way. But what I'm throwing out to you right now is for the young ladies that might be listening to me and you have anticipated at some point in your life finding uh, Mr. Wright because you were being Miss Wright and you get married and you uh, have youngins and all that kind of good stuff. So here you are. Here's some great advice for you young ladies. Before your child is born, let me do that again. Before, everybody say before. Before your child is born, here's what you do. Prayerfully peruse your world. What does that mean, Pastor? Prayerfully say, dear God, as I look around, Show me some things. Open this up to me. Prayerfully peruse your world and determine who it is that has successfully engaged this process of motherhood. They're a mommy and they are in your world, your sphere of influence, if you please. They have dedicated their children to the Lord and it shows forth. When you look at their children, you're almost enviable. Like, wow, how did she do that? Now watch this. Hopefully, hopefully, this example that I'm talking about will be your very own mother. Your very own mother, which makes it relatively easy for you to do for your children that which was done for you by your mother. Make sense? Huh? Unfortunately, a good and godly role model is not always the case. And by the way, my, my heart's broken over that more times than not these days. A good and godly role model in terms of a mother. Beloved, in this scenario, it's often after the fact that one discovers that they were raised. Moms, we're going to wrap it up right there. The Lord willing, we're going to play a little bit more of this for you next week, but I just wanted to reemphasize this to you. I know this, not, uh, 
not because necessarily of something that I have observed with my own two eyes, but then again, I have observed this quite often. Moms, before they are moms, they are people. And you know that people do people things. And being a mother, there's not a lot of instructions that comes with that. There's not a lot of uh, uh, training other than on-the-job training. And quite often, I speak to moms who feel like a failure. Now, I don't feel like that, but they do. I have failed my children. I failed my husbands. I failed the church. I failed as a mother. Hey, can I be an encouragement to you? Do not let failure, especially a failure, define you. Let it refine you. We live by little pitfalls or we learn by the pitfalls and the experiences of life. Never is that truer than with motherhood. Now, let me say this to you again. I want to reiterate to you, moms, especially those of you that have very young children, infant children or toddlers, find someone that has weathered that storm, an expert if you please, someone who has raised their children well and get to know them and pick their brain, pick their heart, ask them the questions. They will be glad to share that with you, by the way, and it will be very helpful to you, more helpful to you than anything that I could possibly ever say to you. Again, don't let a failure define you. Hear me? Hear me out. Don't let a failure define you. Let it refine you. Learn from it. You won't be the first that ever failed, and probably there will be other failures, but you can learn from those. Don't let it determine who you are. Make it or allow it to determine, to uh, prompt you to dig in, to learn, uh, to let that be a lesson to you so that you might grow and mature in this thing known as motherhood, in particular, as you continue to engage the seasons of motherhood. Let me pray for you, moms. Father, I thank you for every mom in particular that's listening right now. Whether they have a, an infant or they've watched their child walk across the stage and receive a high school diploma this year, or uh, walked with their children through the stages of marriage and child uh, rearing in their own life, I pray for those moms that you would strengthen them. Lord, I pray in particular for that mom that may have goofed they just did something because of a, an error in judgment. They did something that they regret with their children. I pray that, that they would not allow that to define who they are because that's not who they are. May they learn from it, grow from it, and continue to pour into their children that love them and appreciate them and need them desperately. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, before I go off of here, let me say this to you moms. The one thing that you need in child rearing more than anything else is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you established that? And not just some ritual in a religious institution somewhere. Have you really established a relationship with God through His Son Jesus by His Word? Are you reading it, studying it, understanding it, and applying that to your life? It's so very uh, necessary to this thing we know as motherhood. Be encouraged to know God, not just to know about Him, but to be in an intimate relationship with Him. I pray that for you in Jesus' name. Before I get out of here, I do want to remind you that New Life has a regular schedule of activity Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, avail yourselves of that opportunity. Come out and be with God's people. It is a tremendous benefit. We also have midweek activities. My grandson asked me this past uh, week on Memorial Day, he said, Dad, or uh, Pops, as he calls me, Pops, 
why do y'all have church on Wednesday? And I tried to explain to them this is a tremendous time. We call it Family Ministries Night where little kids come uh, together and the teens come together and the adults gather. And the people that are participating in that love it. It's a tremendous encouragement to them. We would like for you to be a part of that as well. I have to get out of here. I am Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church. I wish you a great week, and I want to remind you, beloved, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?